hello and welcome to the Hey Queer London podcast, Tea and Cake. In each episode, we'll have a natter with the amazing people creating London's queer community. Hey lovelies, how are you? Before we start, I just want to give you a warning about swearing in this episode. On this episode of Tea and Cake, we are talking to the original 1940s fuckboy and member of the Family Jewels Collective, Bo Jangles. We cover topics such as racism growing up and pronoun acceptance in the workplace, which could be triggering for some people. We also chat about discovering your identity through drag, the drag king scene in the UK and so much more. This episode was also recorded a few days after Meghan and Harry's interview with Oprah and while the investigation into Sarah Everard's disappearance continued. Before I chat to Bo, I just want to say that as a member of the LGBTQIA community, I do my best to ensure that I use the correct pronouns during these episodes. So if I step up at any point during these chats, I apologise, promise to learn and do better. Hello Bo, welcome to Tea and Cake, how are you? Hi, hi, I'm very well, thank you, all things considered. <laughs> all things considered with the craziness that is lockdown. Yeah, yeah, and the, all, the, all the stuff that's been fun to see in the media the last couple of days with Megan and yeah. <laughs> it's been a very, it's felt like a very crazy couple of days with all of the, with all of the news mm-hmm. and everything that's happening. For um, sure, for sure. Um, and the wild, like the, the part that is the hardest to deal with wasn't the interview. It's like the response from the press afterwards. But Piers is gone, so silver linings. <laughs> Definitely a silver lining. I, I like. I think with that though, I think it. I think personally, I was like, I hope. I hoped he would have been fired more than he walked. Yeah. Because I think actually walking gives him some sort of credibility that he doesn't de- deserve personally. Yeah. Although maybe they didn't want to make a martyr out of him very true mm. very true the continuing press about it is is been it's been busy but it's also that people seem to forget that the press need to be held, held accountable for this as well I would absolutely say. the society of editors like one of the spokespeople came on and said we don't have a racism problem it's just like wow a lot of mirrors need to be looked into very deeply a lot yeah definitely very big mirrors and a <laughs> yeah. lot of reflect a lot of time reflection mm-hmm. um on a lighter note, how's lockdown been treating you? Um, I love how that's the lighter note. Like, welcome <laughs> to 2021. Um, I know, right? How's this uh, legal pandemic quarantine thing going? It's going all right. Um, I'm on annual leave this week from my day job. Um, so I'm spending it uh, not doing a lot. I'm kind of addicted to call my agent. I don't know if you've seen it. But I've heard about it because it's it's French originally, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it French is. French TV show. And it's I was like, oh, can I be bothered to um, read subtitles? Because I like to zone out and also be on my phone while I watch stuff. But I'm addicted. So that's just been what I'm using my annual leave to do. <laughs> that's a good productive annual leave, I would mm-hmm. say. And I'd one of the main characters is queer. So, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. I've heard it's but yeah, I heard it's a very good show. It's a very mm-hmm. good show. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. So what's what would you say is the one thing you've learned during lockdown? Um, I've learned that I'm 
an extroverted introvert. Um, well, I'm basically an introvert with FOMO. Um, and because no one's able to do anything, there's no fear of missing out on anything. I've just been actually quite happy in my little hermit hole of a room. Um, although it's getting to the point where I do need to go out dancing, like at some point soon, you know, when things open up safely, because otherwise I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> so, I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. That, that, that thing of being in a space the need to be in a space with other queer people mm-hmm. is definitely like just it like I live with my husband so we're in a, a bubble together but it'd just be nice to see other people yeah <laughs> I love my house it's we're in an all queer house as well oh amazing but I've seen their faces non-stop and we love each other but it's like I want to see some other faces now you know I want some variety <laughs> Go out dancing with some completely different people to some very different type of music that you've been listening than than what you've been listening to for six months. Yeah, I'm I miss acquaintances and friends of friends and people who you bump into once a year and have a nice chat and don't see again. Like we're not getting that at the moment, and it's yeah, that's weirdly one of the things I've been missing. It will happen. I think there's there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I would say. Mm, yeah, I've already booked my tickets for Big Dyke Energy. So <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> so yeah I'm investing in that light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> I think that, that's what it feels it's been about as well my friends keep mentioning things and I'm like oh yeah because I've I think I've I think I've worked out I've got like one one thing at the end of August I'm going to Birmingham Pride in September and then people will talk about seeing the pink which has been announced as well and it's just like yeah there's a lot yeah for sure there are lots of little lights at the end of the tunnel so I was going to say, if people have never heard of Bojangles before, how would you describe yourself and your act? Um, nothing like how I'm coming across right now um, to start. Uh, he is um, a 1940s kind of jazz singing, womanizing, whiskey swilling, um, kind of classy kind of guy. Um, so as Bo, um, I perform a lot of jazz type old school numbers but I often will do I'll I'll bring an element of modernity into it like I'll use his kind of 1940s sensibilities to hold a bit of a mirror up to what's happening now um you know or just use it to make really stupid jokes um and like for example in Bo's back catalogue you've got Billie Holiday and you've also got Britney um you know the range the range is there um yeah so I suppose what you can expect is just a bit of a song and me just sort of chatting shit in a way that's hopefully charming and that's both in an amazing suit as well I have to say yes you do Um, have an amazing wardrobe thank you I don't (laughs) I feel like I need to just have more clothes because um I guess both Nothing I have for Bo is like rhinestoned or anything. He's quite pared back because I try and keep him of the time period. But the things I do have, like the first, like the main suit I wear for him is, is Gucci. Um, he I've, fancy. I know. He's got some taste, some style. Like it's amazing what you can find in vintage shops, secondhand shops. Um, and I've got some wonderful tails and like some, like a lot of the items are actually quite spenny, but I've just kind of, found them a bit damaged or a bit older or from some really great places so yeah that's amazing how did um how did Bojangles start well um I I think as part of my you know realizing 
that I wasn't straight and had been lying to myself and everybody else for a big portion of my life. Uh, part of exploring that was getting more into queer culture and I discovered drag kings. I didn't know that they were a thing, but as soon as I found out about them, I just felt this massive pull towards them. And I started following a lot of drag kings on social media like Pex, um, the Drag King Collective. And then when they announced that they were doing a series of workshops on how to become a drag king, my friends who were really lovely, uh, they all chipped in to um, get me a place on the course. Um, and by doing it, I created Bo. I found my collective as well, the Family Jewels. Um, and yeah, I kind of came into it knowing what I wanted him to say and kind of, yeah, doing the workshop helped me to kind of connect with him uh, on quite a deeper level. Like I talk about it a lot with my therapist, <laughs> um, you know, um, and yeah, that, then he kind of came out fully formed from that. I mean, I say fully formed, like, you know, a little rougher on the edges. Uh, there are some pictures on the internet, which uh, it's all growth. It's all growth and practice and, you know, learning. So, yeah. Amazing. How, when did, um, when did you, when did Bo come around? Was it, how many years have you been performing as Bo? Maybe like two and a half years. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, Bo's about two and a half years old, yeah. Amazing. How did you join the uh, Family Jewels Collective? Well, we were all just on the um, the drag camp, the Pex drag camp together. Um, I think maybe two people knew each other before. And apart from that note, we were all complete strangers. But we just had this amazing um, energy. Like it felt like one of the safest spaces I've, I'd ever been in, like a space where I could really not be afraid to make a fool of myself um, and try things out and take risks. And we just decided, uh, some of us, that we wanted to keep performing together. Um, and we have, and we're all still great friends, even though so many people live all over the world now. Like we've got people in Bermuda, Berlin. Um, we had someone in Brazil, all the bees for some reason. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. You're truly an, an, an international collective. We are. I wish you were like, in the same city again though so we could do more things together but it's you know I'm planning on doing a grand tour and visiting everyone so <laughs> that would be that that would be amazing that would also be an amazing show that would it be would. like a yeah well I was supposed to see my friend in um one of the kings in Berlin I was supposed to be flying back yesterday but obviously didn't happen uh, Ms. Rona had other plans uh but you know we've got the vouchers back so at some point we'll go to Berlin we have actually planned to one day do a show there so yeah that would be really cool that'd be really cool have you performed anywhere else apart from London um no actually I was supposed to do a show in Cardiff but then Ms. Rona intervened um and yeah, basically that's it. I mean, if you count Norwich, um, but not as a drag king, I have performed like it's where I grew up. Um, yeah, home of icons, Bojangles and Bimini Bombulash. <laughs> Two amazing icons. I know, another, yeah, some more bees as well. Um, so yeah, but as Bo, no, just, just London at the moment, but um, I'm really looking forward to it. I was supposed to perform in Newcastle as well, but Ms. Rona had other plans. So yeah. <laughs> 2022 is the, is the year where you, you get to perform in all of these amazing places. Of course, places. I would love to, Bo on tour. Who would you, um, who would you say your drag inspirations? 
Um, I think it's quite interesting with drag kings in that we have fewer really high profile kings that we can kind of look up to and be inspired by. Like we do have them for sure. Um, and there are some amazing older kings and like trailblazers who set up the movement for us. But drag kinging styles changed a lot. Like the 90s kind of kings were more about um, inverted commas like passing and like as a as a man, like in Della Grace's uh, drag king book, for example. Um, so rather than base the look off any particular kings like I tend to look to men of the era that I'm emulating people like Cab Calloway is a massive influence for me um I haven't quite mastered the kind of slightly unhinged vibe that he has going that I love but <laughs> one day I'm gonna try and put some elements of that in but yeah people like Cab Calloway, Fat Swaller um just that whole kind of vibe and those were the, and those are the people who you bring into bow when you're performing and those are the type of styles that you like absolutely because they're that jazz 40s vibe also anderson pack weirdly even though he's from now he just has that energy of like a massive fuck boy and the things he sings about are like you say some awful shit but he's so smooth he gets away with it and you know he's like one of the few straight men i kind of fancy and it's just like <laughs> I want that energy, like basically. Because when you're just part of Bo, you have an uh, you have an American accent. Mm -hmm. What was it like to perform with an American accent? Is it easy or? Um, I find that getting into the the skin of Bo and like becoming Bo kind of helps with the accent. Like that kind of is part and parcel of him. Like I'm currently working on a drag king circus heist short film um <laughs> wow okay yeah, i know um and when we're doing the readings and i'm just sort of sat as myself trying to read this but like i never feel like my accent's there so it's definitely um something that comes like when i'm feeling bow um but because he's from the 1940s if it's not quite there i get to say oh well it's more of that kind of transatlantic accent they had in those days but um i've actually had a couple of american people in audiences that ask me like where i'm from in the states um and that feels so great and i hate to shatter their illusions <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you, you start you, you perform in an american accent and then you speak to them off stage and it's a, a british accent comes out and they're like oh okay <laughs> yeah it's i kind of hate talking to people um once i've got off stage because i never know like how in character to be or not like i try and say the least amount of things and get out of there just so that i can try not to shatter the illusion but when like an american person's coming up to me all excited like hey buddy where in the states are you from i'm just like oh, i'm so sorry mate <laughs> oh, i hate to tell you this fam but um <laughs> southeast london like <laughs> i'm from a place called norwich <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah east Dulwich, norwich and it's not oh. yeah but there we go because so also as Bo as well, you you sing live. Have you mm. always sung live? Has that always been your been yeah, your thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I yeah, I've sung from a really young age. Um, I was classically trained initially. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So I did like all the the singing grades and things like that. Um, and so yeah, you're looking at grade eight distinction. <laughs> um yeah so I, but that was like kind of opera and folk kind of songs which i love the drama of like it's so fucking camp um but my heart was always more with like jazz music and 
more popular stuff and R&B and, and the kind of, you know, we never really got to sing black songs in like classical. Maybe it's changed, but you know, at the time we couldn't. Um, so I, yeah, always sang and it was important to me to have a character who sang too because it's something I'm already comfortable with doing. So why not bring that into, into both? What's your favorite song to perform, would you say? Okay, it was my version of Toxic, my kind of 1940s Toxic version. Um, I say mine, but I use a lot of postmodern jukebox. <laughs> Thank you, Scott Bradley. <laughs> You've helped me a lot. Uh, but recently, like in between lockdowns, when there was that brief window where people could perform, I started doing my version of WAP. Um, and there isn't a Scott Bradley 1940s postmodern jukebox backing track for that yet. I'm working very slowly. I will be having words. So um, I had to kind of use a different one and just keep rapping to myself in my bedroom until I found the right cover. And performing that, like it always has like a great response because everybody loves it because it's an iconic song and it's just so much fun to do. It's so much fun. I can imagine. Wow. It's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say earlier, you mentioned about um, the circus heist movie. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit more about that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So it is with like a group called Feathers of Deadless. Like the director is um, Joanna and she is like an amazing circus performer and um, basically got together this group of, so most of them are circus performers who haven't done a lot of drag before. Um, and then I'm the only one who doesn't have some kind of wild circusy skill. <laughs> so they're like <laughs> eating fire and hanging from their hair and like doing all this contortion and rollerblading and pole stuff. And I'm just there like, I don't know, <laughs> um, just, you know, just making up numbers. Um, and it's, it's really cool. Like we um, we were hoping to sort of have been filming soon, but again, Miss Rona um, getting in the way. Um, so I think we'll be hopefully filming April, all things going well. Um, and it's, yeah, it's looking to be really exciting. It's very funny, um, a bit silly. Um, just gonna be and like the skills of the other performers with all their circus circusry circus magic circus wonder it's it's yeah i'm really excited to see it amazing yeah no that's that that sounds like that sounds absolutely amazing like really really different and fascinating right yeah. <laughs> i'm just so happy you said to it, be I was, part of it <laughs> of course because when you mentioned it i was like these are bringing all these create these all really interesting and different elements, and especially for drag performances when we're used to seeing one style of thing, it bring in loads of different like more cabaret scene things and yeah, and as well like I think a lot of circus performers who aren't men are often like pigeonholed into doing very feminine acts, which is awesome if that's what you want to do. Um, but I think there are maybe fewer opportunities to be visible tapping into your masculine side and doing you know a lot of these things that are maybe traditionally considered quite feminine like hair hanging or contortion and things like that so yeah I'm excited to see the finished product and terrified to do the filming and it will be fun you've got the easy part because you've got the easy health and safety the easiest <laughs> thing from all of the health and safety roles like you could 
you're just you're singing so it's i'll find some way to hurt myself i'm like a, i'm a very clumsy person like oh no sorry <laughs> i'll like trip over a cable or something i won't even be doing anything wild and i'll i'll, <laughs> I'll be a liability somehow no <laughs> something will happen something will happen i was also going to say interestingly recently um flicking for your instagram and seeing all the amazing things you've been you've been doing especially during lockdown and with digital drag like i saw you've also brought in uh bo's bo's bow technically with with um with daphne von hunting huntington coming in as well and yeah what's that been like she's someone who i she's been in my heart for a while like if you ask people i used to work with a few years ago um i would you know there's are they called pocky sticks from like people like you get them from like the um chinese supermarkets and stuff mm -hmm. someone brought those in and i pretended it was like a cigarette holder and i just like created this fabulous character called daphne von huntington who'd killed like her seven husbands and they found that hilarious the first time and then like the 18th time they were all sick to death of it um so she normally only comes out at like my birthday like my birthday a couple of years ago i did like a daphne hosted a salon and I got all wow. my friends to, yeah, get up and just sort of perform spare of the moment. Um, and my sister's 30th, she did a murder mystery and like I kind of did a Daphne character to host it. But showing her to the world, I say the world, like my limited Instagram followers, um, has been fun and different. And I think has really, I think I'm less afraid now as a non-binary person to tap into the feminine side as well because I quite like it when I have control over how it's perceived. When other people put gendered expectations on me then I start to feel icky. But if I'm being like, this is a powerful, feminine, like ridiculous camp character, then yeah, I love that. Yeah, that that's amazing. Because I, I was going to say with, because it's it's interesting the juxtapositions between the, the, the two characters because as Bo, you, you said before, you... Bo has very black masculine characteristics and they're mm -hmm. very strong in that. But then Daphne does, Daphne is, as you said, is, is very different. She's very feminine. She's very mm -hmm. high camp feminine. What's it like to play around with, with gender in that way? Um, It's really fun. Like I recommend everybody do it <laughs> if you feel comfortable to, like for sure, because I think you tap into different energies within yourself um, and you draw from a lot of historical context. Um, like Bo's often not as camp as he could be because you know historically you know black men haven't felt able to be camp like you know black straight men haven't felt able to tap into that feminine side because um you know there's a lot of uh homophobia which was kind of imposed on the black community from colonizers and you pull that thread and it goes back a long way whereas Daphne I, I think of in my head even though I'm playing her and I'm not white I think of her as a white woman with all the things that um you know like if she were a black woman murdering her husbands like you can't tell me she wouldn't be you know incarcerated whereas like a rich white woman can do that and then oh okay she's in monte carlo now on a yacht and everyone's forgotten about it and uh, whatever happened to that you know rich octogenarian nobody knows um so that's quite liberating as well being able to sort of step out and and be this character with fewer limitations and you know all those sorts of things brilliant i was also going to say as a as a as a non-binary person on the scene as well what, what's it been like to to sort of to come out and be part of that community so it's something that i realized in the first lockdown um i've been having a few little questions about my gender but i didn't feel non-binary enough um 
but being on my own actually and being I think because I'm a bit of a people pleaser so I often like just sort of like present a part of me that I think other people want to see in that context um and not being around people so not feeling like I have to present any sides of me based on context and actually just sitting on my own more helped me to be okay when I am on my own when I exist in this neutral state actually who am I um and I've got a really lovely non-binary housemate who um was so sweet and like talk to me so much about their experience and how they feel and I got to see all the parallels and realize okay actually yeah I'm a non-binary bad bitch um <laughs> as Bimini Bonvulash would say um also vegan we have a lot of similarities um except I'm not allowed on drag race but <laughs> yeah um but it's been it's been fine really like I feel like I haven't been subjected to as much nonsense as I would be because I'm in lockdown like the people I'm associating with tend to just be you know f either my housemates or my sister or my work colleagues or people um friends online who are all supportive otherwise they wouldn't be friends um so I feel like when things open up again I might have to deal with a lot more nonsense um I did have someone at work when I said my pronouns are they them so are you telling me that's something I have to remember on top of all this work I do? <laughs> Ouch. Wow. <laughs> and like, not the right thing to say, but I kind of was also objectively funny, <laughs> but also like awful. Um, and then she brought me a lot of apples later as like a kind of weird non-apology. So we've moved on. <laughs> Apples as an apology is an interesting present, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's getting me the vitamins I need, so yay. But it's, it's really good that you've got that supportive, uh, you've got a supportive community around you quite instantly and with your housemate as well. Mm. I was also going to ask, like, how did you, how did you find your queer family? Um, it, I think... It took a while, like I, when I thought I was straight, I was living with two queer people. Um, and yeah, I think at first, little tiptoes I made came from them. I think also like dating apps, like I think I've found a lot of people who I've dated from them and I've also found a lot of friends, like really good friends. Um, so I think that as well. And then going to things like Pussy Palace and then I think like dating people, you meet their friends. And <clears throat> I think as well, like I didn't realize how many amazing friends I'd make from being Bo, like how many wonderful friends I have on the cabaret scene and, and like in nightlife and all these wonderful creators. Like, yeah, I think, I think that way, sort of a three pronged attack kind of <laughs> from <laughs> things like Pussy Palace and performing and, and pals good nice that's good um what because you said originally that you're from you're from Norwich mm. um what was it like growing up as a as a queer kid in Norwich <laughs> if you don't mind me asking <laughs> well um yeah it was a it was a it was a the struggle was real um I was also yeah I was one of the very very few black people in my school as well um and it was just it was just kind of insidious it was all it was that very british thing where it's rarely ever named out loud 
well the racist stuff for example like you know i was I, very rarely would i have an outright slur or would somebody actively say they were treating me this way because of the color of my skin but um it was it was just insidious it was in everything like i went natural with my hair and had an afro and then just started relaxing it again because too many people were just putting their hands on my hair unwarranted and then when i relaxed it like i just put a lot of like oil and stuff in it as you do with like black hair to keep it moisturized and the whole class called me oily fish for like two years that was my name wow. <laughs> yeah and then um when i was like 13 because i was like existing as myself as a lot of children do you know before they get to that age where they start changing themselves to fit in with other people i presented in a little bit more of a masculine way and i went to girls school uh, so then it came about like i was called manshi and everybody called me a lesbian to the point like the whole class is doing it and i was just like really upset because at the time i really thought i was straight as well i was like how can i be a lesbian i'm obsessed with robert pattinson like <laughs> orlando bloom's poster is on my wall something doesn't add up because like obviously i stared at like you know beautiful um women and non-men as well but i just thought everybody did that like doesn't everybody get mesmerized by boobs like isn't that what everyone does um and so yeah one of the most annoying things about coming out is proving those petty bitches from school right <laughs> like i always wish i wasn't just so that they'd be wrong and now i have to see them sharing shit about who they want to win drag race and i'm like bitch <laughs> you know you didn't care before no <laughs> oh they all wanted a gay man to be like their gay best friend and go shopping with they they're very much like um infantilized and stereotyped gay men but they would say with no irony out loud like lesbians should be shot like wow that's quite <laughs> that's a scary thing to hear as a teenager and it yeah s and it sits with you oh for sure for sure um and i mean there's so many wonderful things about norwich and norfolk um and you know what I think also just the school i was in and and that kind of thing didn't help like maybe if i went somewhere else it would be better but there are huge, huge problems with racism and homophobia, queerphobia in general there. And I'm really happy that I'm in London where it's queer people are so much more visible and accepted. So, yeah. W yeah. What did you think of London when you came here? Oh my God, I was like, this is everything I ever wanted. I spent my whole childhood dreaming of coming to London and I was like, oh, is it not gonna live up to it? And it did, it was just even more expensive than I could have fathomed. <laughs> like just daylight robbery. But um, apart from that element, um, and every time I get annoyed about how expensive it is, like London will give me like a little London moment where I'll be just so happy that I live here again. So yeah. What what is it about London? Um, I just think like the history, the beauty, um, like just things like I used to walk. I used to live in Fulham, um, and I used to walk over Putney Bridge sometimes, and like the rain would be coming down, and the lights would be there, and it would just be like, oh, so beautiful. Um, and like I used to work at this events venue on Denmark Hill, and like I'd have to open up in the morning, and the sun would be rising behind like the gherkin and like St Paul's Cathedral. I'd be like, oh, I live here. Um, so yeah, there's like that, and there's also just like the people. Like this is where all of the marginalized people come. Like this is where everybody gathers to sort of feel 
seen and included and that's something really powerful in that which is why I hear a lot of people moving out of London now they're like oh we can work from anywhere so you might as well let them go because then it will be left for those of us who need the community and the culture that is here yeah and I think that's that's the important I think that's also the, the important thing I think especially finding out during lockdown as well is is we are so lucky to have that community on our doorstep mm-hmm. and that support and being able to to find the people like us and find the people who we can connect with has been is one of the yeah one of the amazing things with London absolutely yeah for sure I was going to say as well what was your first experience of the LGBTQ plus scene um at all like ever at all and in London like what's your um well like I guess as far as like at all like my mum when I was a baby used to go like raving with her gay friends in Sydney um oh I'm a little bit Australian as well but I don't shout too loudly about that because you know occupied land and all that (laughs) but um yeah my mum used to go raving with like all the queers um and like my godparents um are like a gay couple and it was always very um yeah it was always very you know it's like it was just a thing like why wouldn't we you know i mean there was that there's also comments your mum makes where you know you get the sense that maybe if you were queer it might be a different situation but um she's she's been great now but um yeah and then in london um what was my first experience of the queer scene? Um, I think it it might have been just sort of Dalston Superstore, maybe like one one evening. Um, this is yeah, I, I'm yeah Dalston Superstore. I hadn't really been to anywhere like it before, and just people were just seemed really like liberated um, in a way, and like a bit not giving as much of a fuck in a way that you don't often see. Because when I first moved to London, <laughs> people were trying to drag me to infernos. <laughs> I know. And like, I hated it so much. And I was like, why am I, why am I here? And just the juxtaposition between, like I had in my head like infernos when I was in Dawson Superstore. Like it's night and day really. Like I never felt safe in infernos. Like. <laughs> yeah god no i think I, I think i went to infernos once when i was i came to london i had some friends who lived in sort of southwest london and i came mm. up with them and they were like let's go to infernos and then you go in and they go it's 10 pounds a ticket and you're like <laughs> okay and then you go in and you realize this the, like the, the carpets are sticky and then you realize that after every other song, there's an announcement saying that there are pickpockets in the club and something's <laughs> going to get stolen. And I was like, this is nice. This is an interesting, interesting venue. Oh, my God. Ugh. No, well, I was going to say no offence to anyone listening to this who works at Infernos, but please just stop. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> the world has progressed past the need for Infernos. Yeah. <laughs> Surely. So where are your favourite places to go out in London when we when you can? When I can. Well, I heard that Pussy Palace isn't a thing anymore, which made me very, very sad because I spent a lot of um yeah, just really 
lovely kind of important times there um so that's a shame but that would have been one of them um I'm trying to think where else yeah I kind of always have a good night at Dawson Superstore even though it's always a little bit too busy <laughs> um there are just a few too many straight people treating it like a safari um but I always have a good time there um and I love the chateau with all my heart so much R.I.P. um I'm still very connected to the team there because I used to have my night there and it was close. It was in Southeast London and just the vibes were always on point, like a lovely group of organizers and staff and creators like you, you just couldn't find. Um, I mean, all these places I'm naming are like gone apart from Tulsa Superstore. So I'm going to have to find new ones, um, which is exciting. Is it yeah, it is exciting. And I think Dawson Superstore has always been great is to be one of those definitely like alternative spaces mm. and very much open it's I, I class it probably a lot more as a definitely as a queer space because it's very mm. open to all the sections of the community and you can feel very welcome there the brunch mm. is good if you go to the brunches on the weekend ah i do need to go like i've had friends perform and i'm like oh I sh one day i should go because yeah that's it i'm gonna go when i can go i will i will i will <laughs> And it's vegan as well. It's a vegan brunch. <gasps> Amazing. What more could you want? What more could I want? Oh my gosh. Heaven, take me there. <laughs> I'm going to go. You should definitely go. It's, it's, it's really good. And it's a shame about the Chateau as well, because mm. the Chateau was one of those, personally, I never got the chance to go. And I really wish, like I, I was hoping to go like last year when, unfortunately, when things were starting to close, unfortunately, mm. when I realised it was closing, but they were always one of those new spaces that was so supportive of new nights mm -hmm. and was always playing around with new things as well. And 100%. that must have been, there must have been a very interesting team to work with. So lovely. Like they are really aware of whose voices need to be amplified and who needs the support. And they couldn't have been more helpful. Like shout out to Laurie, um, the proprietor, like just always so lovely and all the team like Fraser Tam like just so so nice like it was just is no producing your own night and performing at it can be so stressful and there was always still stress but all the parts where I had to interact with them it was as easy as breathing as easy as breathing like they couldn't have been more helpful amazing what was the night you started there? so it was called Royal Roost um and the name comes from a 1940s jazz bar from New York and the royal element came from, uh, it was predominantly kings, um, kings and things I would have performing and I'd prioritize trans artists or non-binary artists or kings of color um, specifically, but I had like all sorts of kings perform and the concept was that um, the, the night itself was set in the 40s, but I was bringing back in time like Kings from the Future to perform for this 40s crowd. So there'd be like little games there as well. Like um, you'd have to vote on what your favorite 1940s invention was, like the NHS or the Slinky. Um, and like, yeah, it was really fun. One of the most cathartic nights I had was doing Royal Roost on Valentine's Day, not long after I'd had a relationship end. Um, and like, the crowd were my partner <laughs> that night <laughs> so yeah very fond memories definitely cathartic as well it must mm. be like as you said it must have 
you must have got out so much emotion on that night and yeah i picked on all the couples i feel bad for them (laughs) i was like made them play like i don't know what the gender neutral version of it is but i always know the game is mr and mrs we used to go back to back and like oh the person who's like thinks of the best looking has to drink or something i was like (laughs) so some discord amongst these happy people (laughs) so all the couples got super super drunk because you got (laughs) basically yeah but um yeah it was i miss it i really do but you know one day one day it might come back who knows fingers crossed because i think the chateau is keeping itself online now with lots of different experiences as well yeah they have stuff that you know in the pipeline and that which is exciting exciting and we'll see yeah we'll see what happens when things open definitely i also saw over lockdown as well that you created a with the chateau you created your own safe space with them yeah mangrove um so this was uh when was it i think it kind of came out of the summer and it but i think they'd been wanting to have it from before then from quite a while before because we kind of spoken about it um every now and then laurie and i um and it was a yeah it was an online kind of space uh for queer trans non-binary people of color um sorry people with black heritage um and it was just kind of a space to just come and be yourself and bring whatever you wanted to bring really um and yeah we had people coming um every week and we had some regulars some people who dipped in just here and there and it was honestly like so it was such a validating space I think I like I like to think I hope um that that's what we created and I was just there to sort of facilitate it and you know get things moving if if you know if they needed to and just put some ground rules in place um and it was yeah it was really really beautiful actually yeah really lovely is it going to continue potentially in the future um yeah like we we had it as just sort of like a, a limited run but um it's definitely something that you know we can if there's another a need for it again or there's demand for it or we fancy doing it then yeah it absolutely might come back drag king community seems to be on a exceptional explosive growth path path at the moment what's Mm. it been like to be part of that community the drag king community is so lovely like so lovely every time a new king comes along it's like oh another brother (laughs) you know another family member um everyone is so supportive and kind and giving each other opportunities shouting each other out um out gassing everyone up um yeah and so seeing the community grow and blossom and be more visible it's just been really lovely because it's what everybody deserves like there are so many incredible kings like why can't we have you know the levels of recognition that we see you know so many drag queens have as well um it's yeah I hope that we continue to grow and become even more visible and that would be wonderful. No, definitely. And it and it it does feel especially in some parts of the community and some of the nights there does seem to be more there's a seems to be a lot more inclusion and diversifying of 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 lineups and bringing and there seems to be a lot more kings coming about on the scene which is which is amazing to watch and to and to see. 
Mm, absolutely. Um, and, and you all seem so supportive of each other, like especially with like the Drag King podcast and things like that as well. Like it's mm-hmm. it's amazing to watch. Yeah, everyone's so lovely. Like I did Man Up um, a couple years ago. Um, and the organizers backstage were like, why are you being so nice to everyone? This is a competition. And we were just like lending each other things and having lovely little chats and getting drinks for each other. Like, yeah, we're just, I think we'd rather see everybody succeed rather than, um, I don't know, succeed at the detriment to anybody else, uh, if that makes sense. So yeah, I think that's, we've got something really special in our community. Nice. How did you become part of? Uh, how did you get involved with the man with Man Up? Um, I just turned up on audition. Like, <laughs> um, me and my drag brothers decided that we would just sort of go for it. Um, and you know, those of us who wanted to, um, and yeah, you just you got like four minutes to do your thing. Um, and if they like it, you're you're through. Um, and they liked it, so I was through. Um. And it was mad being like performing on such a huge, huge stage. Like I think at the time it's, it was the biggest striking competition in the world. Um, and it's weird as well, cause I'm used to small intimate cabaret venues and I had to kind of try and make it work for a bigger crowd. <laughs> um, but it was really amazing to do, it was really fun. Like I got a lot of um, gigs and like connections and friends off the back of it. Um, so yeah it was it was like generally like yeah pretty positive experience you know certain things certain kinks that could be worked out just like anything but yeah overall pretty positive what were the what was it like to be in a room with loads of other kings like that oh it was amazing everyone was so nice to each other and everybody's style was so so different like i think that that's something you can definitely say about kings like with queens you have Every, there's so many individual styles but you kind of have like kind of groupings like oh this is like the kind of more like old school queen and this is like you know fashion queen and this is like a lip sync assassin and this is like a comedy queen and like everybody is in their little you can kind of smush people into groupings whereas I think drag kings are just like I uh, sometimes you're like you, I, you can't even compare like one or the other like what I do versus what um max legroom does is like so like you can't like the props and the ideas and the just the whole everything that that they do is just like a different level so i think we're really lucky that we have so much variety and out of the box mad shit i love it so much (laughs) what was what would you say was your favorite mad shit thing to see um so max legroom had like a giant um string of fairy lights i want to say and then used like a stick to like pretend they were playing it like a cello like to the veronica's untouched song with the strings and then also had one of those things like blowy things that unravels the toilet paper and stuff like yeah that was pretty cool (laughs) like yeah and just like the makeup that some people do with all the colors and like just beautiful like um yeah and just the concepts and the narrative um and sometimes the educational elements of it it's just amazing um yeah i've seen a lot of (laughs) a lot of cool shit be done by kings like that you don't see anywhere else 
Has that, have you brought any of that stuff into your act, do you think? You're going to start shooting toilet paper, <laughs> have a spinny thing, or fairy I, lights on stage? I don't think I have the, the je ne sais quoi to pull that off. Um, I Yeah, I think I'm going to stick to my style because I think it would be a little bit incongruous um, to, to start playing some fairy lights like a cello. Um, so I'm going to stick to, I mean, you never know. I might create a new character one day that's a bit more out there. But um, yeah, I, I honestly don't think I have the imagination. So I'm going to leave that to the people with the vision. <laughs> if um if someone was listening to this podcast who was looking to become a, a drag king um, or a drag performer in general, um, what advice would you give them? I would say just... Uh, sounds so boring but just do it um especially now that we're like locked up at home now is a good time to practice anything really like practice makeup practice your act like I'd say everybody already has like a skill or an element that they can really bring so with me I like to sing for example um some people can dance a bit some people are funny like bake that into your act because then you're building on a pre-existing talent so it's sort of it's a bit more comfortable maybe and it's a bit more you don't have to go from like naught to 60 so fast you can go from like 40 to 60 um yeah and just i don't know find some people who inspire you and you, you find parts of yourself that inspire you or that you want to explore or that you haven't had the chance to explore and, and bake it all in and then that's the drag pie <laughs> Drag pie, that's an interesting way of, de of describing it. I like that. That's good. <laughs> all the different ingredients and yeah. All the different ingredients together mm -hmm. for all the different types of pies. That's really exactly, cool. Yeah. How um how do you find new drag kings uh and performers for your for your nights? Um I mean part of it is that I perform at things and I see somebody else in the lineup and I'm like, damn, you're so good, and I just give them a little message. Um, and just from supporting other nights as well, um, going to other things, seeing what's out there, like Instagram. Instagram is used a lot, although I prefer to like see someone perform live, like because um, I think that is an interesting thing about lockdown. We've got so many new kings with makeup skills on point, which I love. And there's definitely a space for that kind of Instagram drag. But um, I'm my style definitely translates more to like performing live because I kind of have like the one look <laughs> like I'm not going to be able to make myself up into like I, was gonna, I don't know the why the thing that popped into my head was like a park bench but <laughs> there's people doing like Van Gogh starry night across their faces I know my limitations um so I think because of that I would need people who are really brilliant live performers so I'd need to have seen them um, and not even just a digital drag because that you can edit things and things like that but I'd, I'd need to have like seen someone on a stage um, to see if they kind of match what I'm going for um, and there are so many amazing like performers who are kings so yeah we're really we're very blessed in our community very blessed very blessed who, who have you say that you've seen who you're excited to to see perform in real life um Richard Energy is a king who I know the makeup skills are on point and I also know that they are an incredible performer but I haven't personally because they did shotgun carousel like in the vaults but I haven't personally seen them on stage so I'm really excited because I've heard some very buzzy buzzy things um 
and then I'm kind of excited to see what like kings um yeah like kings I've already seen like what they come and do like post lockdown um I'm just excited to see them again even if they're bringing the same stuff as before lockdown I miss them all so much and all their acts are amazing like I can see the same act. like I can see Chio I've seen Chio done like this, do the same act like quite a few times now every time I'm just fucking living I'm just like screaming backstage or like in the front of the stage just just completely obsessed so yeah <laughs> and I definitely think there's a the thing about seeing a performer live as well it's the energy in the in the space isn't it that you sort yeah. of miss by digital drag yeah because there is that intangible kind of charisma that only um only really translates in like a physical space that I really I really miss I miss seeing what's it been like to do digital drag over lockdown um, all of the lockdowns <laughs> so many now yeah i'm i'm pretty sure i have undiagnosed adhd and i'm a massive procrastinator and leaving things to the last minute type person so i have to really be in the right headspace to do digital drag it has to be something i'm really excited about so i've had a lot of people approach me and try to commission something from me but if it's if it's not worth, I don't know, if it's not something I'm really excited about, like I will I will turn it down because I also have a full-time job and um, it is very stressful. So I don't want to add any more stress onto it. Um, so all the bits that I have done, I've really loved to do. Like I recently did a piece um, that uh, Adam and Apple, Adam all and Apple Darius asked me to do, which um, was all about Stormy Delavery, who's one of my favorite people in the history of time ever. So I jumped on that, um, which I haven't released yet, but I will release soon. Um, and yeah, I, right at the beginning of the last pandemic, about this time last year, I did Bo's Corona Tips, um, which... <laughs> I don't think I quite realized how long all this shit would go on when I did that like that was coming from a place of optimism when we were just being told to like wash our hands and people were saying no if you drink a lot of water it will not dispel the virus like so yeah yeah we'll be done by September it'll be, oh, we'll be back to normal by September fine by Christmas like everything I was ah but anyway lights tunnels we'll get there but no, digital drag. It seems to be there's been it's it's been amazing to watch performers create stuff over lockdown. Like I think it's, I can imagine how hard it is, and, mm. and but it's but it's been phenomenal to watch all the different performers and um and all the different amazing things that have come out. Yeah, I think it should be mentioned that there's definitely like a there's definitely like a almost like a class and accessibility issue as well. Like not everybody can do digital drag. Like yeah so not everybody can afford like the gear that you need to do it like since getting a ring light and a proper microphone like it's really helped me a lot but you know these are things that not everyone has access to and not everyone's acts translates that way and I, I do feel worried that we're going to come out of lockdown and a lot of the people who've been able to produce the digital content will be prioritized for bookings when actually a lot of amazing kings who haven't put a lot out digitally but are incredible performers live maybe overlooked by producers because they haven't churned out the content um so yeah i hope that all of my wonderful performing kings who don't do digital drag for whatever reason still have a, a chance to get back in the saddle when things open up again because it would be a shame to lose people or have them be underbooked because of that yeah definitely 
and on that note as well, it's like, what more could we do as queer people to support our scene after lockdown, would you say? Um, it's a tricky one because I know a lot of people are a bit nervous about getting going out again, which is fair enough. And again, you know, people with different, you know, needs and health conditions and things do have to be more careful and can't be as flippant. But I think, you know, and also money is tight for a lot of people because, you know, the jobs market's pretty tough. But insofar as you are able to, like coming to shows not a lot of people tip performers in this country but um a lot of people a lot of performers will have their paypals where you can tip them and things like that um and even just like sharing stuff doesn't cost anything and that can boost someone's visibility and sometimes the more visibility you have the more books you get gigged um the more books you get gigged the more gigs you get booked um so just things like that really um is really lovely uh, and I think for producers as well, just like not just having token performers, because you can tell when you're the token hire, like you look around the room and everybody else is what my mum would refer to as driven snow. And, you know, you're the only person who's not like um, a cis male drag queen or, and that sort of thing. Like you kind of know that you're there, you know, to tick some boxes. It doesn't feel great. Um, so I think, you know, People shouldn't be worried to have like two drag kings or three people of color on a lineup, for example, because people want to see that. People will call you out if your lineups aren't, you know, because there's absolutely no need, no need and no reason in such a diverse city where there are so many incredible performers of all different backgrounds. There's no justifiable reason not to represent that in your lineups. No, definitely. And it's it's one of those issues I think as a community we need to be better at addressing and mm. calling out venues and spaces who 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 have who have been bad at it and it's happening i'm seeing it a lot more from mm. the hayquill london perspective and it's yeah and it's great but we should and performers should be performed because they are phenomenal and they are amazing mm. and because they do brilliant acts mm-hmm. not because of box ticking like exactly it. it's a shame it still happens it is but that that's it that's life isn't it and um you know i managed to put together shows with you know all kings you know all people of color for example which are a rarity like apart from things like the coca butter club you often won't see lineups like that or like woof cabaret um and every single person on that lineup was fire like i don't book people who aren't fire and they all were it's like you know and, and not a not a drag queen to be seen and it's like you can have shows without drag queens that will bring crowds in and that will sell and that will be amazing. Um, although I'm a person who love to see drag uh, drag queens as well, but you know, not not everything all the time. Yeah, we need a, a good variety of all yeah. different, different sides of our multicultural scene in London and, and everything like that. Absolutely. So, what's next for Bojangles? Um, I've had a few people book me for things um, for when things open up, which is nice. And I really hope they can happen. Um, And there's the Drag King Circus Heist film, of course, um, which will be filming at some point this spring, touch wood. Um, And yeah, apart from that, like, I'm a go wherever I'm wanted and <laughs> uh and perform you know I miss performing on a stage um 
and yeah i'm excited to be getting back into that eventually amazing and you, you also if i remember correctly and if i've done my research correctly last summer you also were looking at creating a comic as well yeah so that's happening at the moment actually um we've got a wonderful um artist who has been creating the artwork um so we're kind of on the final bits of the tweaks and and that sort of thing so that is a, an anti-racism comic specifically launched at um I know myself like having um, having white friends and all the conversations that were started in the summer. Um, there was sometimes a bit of frustration from me that uh, I don't know. I think a lot of my white friends weren't coming into it at the same level of understanding that I have purely because like I have no choice but to know about these things and to read into these things. And it takes a lot of emotional labor and energy to like catch your friends up to speed because people are lovely about it and they do generally genuinely want to know. And, you know, some people, the ignorance is a little bit more, come on now, it's 2020 or 2021, we, we should know better than this. So the comic is kind of formulated like as a tool that people can use, for example, to like help their friends like catch up to what they're experiencing like in an accessible way and we're thinking about um talking to schools about if they want to have it as well um some kind of like learning tool um and it is pretty simple the message um it's quite accessible like quite fun um and we're excited to have been given given the work to um like a trans black artist who we'll like do a proper announcement with the collaboration stuff but yeah that's something that's sort of been happening behind the scenes like whenever I and the person I'm collaborating with like has some time to to make some moves on it that yeah. sounds amazing yeah like I can't wait till the finished thing is out we'll we'll all be like watching your Instagram and waiting for that moment ah <laughs> uh, yeah it'd be exciting <laughs> happy mm -hmm. uh i was gonna say it'd be let's move on to our, our quiz four three two one ah, if you're ready yes i've written some notes <laughs> amazing uh so for listeners the four three two one quiz is i will ask Bo a series of questions uh to find out about their experiences and uh different people they know on the scene and also people who are they're inspired by so first off Bo, if you could give me four lgbtq plus creators that we should be checking out right now Yes, so it was very hard <laughs> to limit them down. But um, number one, I've got Oedipussy. Um, they're on Instagram as Oedipussy Rex. Um, they are a wonderful drag barbarian who have been doing queer mythology. So they're dressing up as queer mythological characters and it is everything. As a mythology nerd, I'm getting all of my five a day from that, all the nutrients from watching that series. So there's Oedipusy, there's Sakima Crook. Um, she is a dancer and model and activist and I'm obsessed with her. I did a show with her once and her energy is just like, can change spaces. Like she's a powerhouse and a force and I'm obsessed. Uh, the third person I have is Elise. He's on Instagram as Elise.tattoo. And Elise, I believe that Elise's pronouns are she, they. Um, Elise is a tattoo artist who's incredible. And I wanted like, to shout out, that's like a kind of creator that doesn't get shouted out a lot. But um, when I go to a tattoo artist, it's about the artistry, which Elise definitely has like 
a wonderful vision, but also about who you feel comfortable with and who creates a wonderful space, especially for people of color and queer people. And Elise ticks every box. And fourth, I have Georgia Michael. I love Georgia Michael so much, so much, so much. Cause just the campness, the George Michaelness, and also um, started Louche magazine showing like alternative queer performance perspectives and just is a walking encyclopedia of queer history when you talk to them i'm obsessed amazing they sound brilliant i'll definitely check them out i'll add them to the list um could you give me as well could you give me three lgbtq nights that um nights or bars that we should be checking out in london okay so i put the chateau even though it's gone but not forgotten <laughs> because it will be back in some form and everybody should check the chateau out um, I also put Pussy Palace <laughs> gone but not forgotten but um, they still share on their Instagram like a lot of other queer nights that should be checked out and I feel like they might be back in, in some way or another um, and I also put Non-Binary Cabaret because I always have the best time performing there and they're all lovely like Ben um, uh, Benny is in like Benjamin Butch helps run it and Inga and um, Lysander and they are so lovely and the crowd is always just the best so yeah those are my three nice good choices um could you also give me two queer music artists we should be listening to yes they are both american for my sins um but the first one is serena isioma whose song sensitive is just the anthem surely um and they are a wonderful queer american black singer um black rapper performer musician person and the second person is ray khalil who I got turned on to via the Netflix rap competition with Cardi B called Rhythm and Flow. And then I just kept following her because she's just brilliant. She has a song called All Star with the Free Nationals that is just certified bop. Good choice. And last but not least, could you give me one unsung hero of the LGBTQ plus scene? Yes. So I think there are songs sung, figuratively speaking, about this person, but not loudly enough um and not enough I, I was gonna say chio um because chio just is incredible like the performance like wow obviously like all the drag stuff but also just like the visibility and the unabashed this is who i am good days bad days you know you know it's also incredibly hot which is always like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's just I think, you know, you definitely get a sense of the pow Chio's power online and like the power and the knowledge and the activism and the the fire. But talking to talking to Chio one on one, Chio is also just the loveliest, sweetest person. Just so, so sweet and always behind the scenes, supporting other artists, lifting people up, creating spaces, all the important work that needs to be done. Bojangles, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, it's been absolutely amazing to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so lovely. Such a pleasure. Um, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Um, normally I'm hanging out on Instagram um, for my sins. So if you find me at Bojangles Drag, that's where I'm going to be. And I'll see you there. <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you again, Bo. Thank you very much. And everyone else, we will uh, speak to you soon. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Hey Quill London podcast, Tea and Cake. You can follow Hey Queer London on Instagram and Twitter at HeyQueerLDN to discover London's queer scene. You can also follow us at Tea and Cake Pod on Twitter and Instagram as well. Get in touch and tell us what you think of the show. We're on most podcast platforms, so please give us a review. The show is produced, presented and edited by Hey Queer London founder Steve Whiting. A big thank you to Kelly Lee for letting us use her track Can't Dance. The show is produced by Mischievosity. Mischievity.